everyone. Morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to our service this morning. And anyone that's watching online as well, could we just welcome them also? And I hope God richly blesses you this service. Um, it is with deep regret that I announce the death of Mr. John Stevenson, uh, who passed away last Monday. His funeral will be at 2 p.m. at Wilton's Funeral Home on Wednesday afternoon. And our thoughts and prayers go out to Aaron and his family at this time. Uh, this evening we'll have a time of prayer starting at 7 p.m. over Zoom. If you could see your order of service, you'll get the details on how to join the meeting. Uh, next Sunday we have our All Age service at 11 a.m. as we flyer inside to remind you and for you to hand it to someone if you want to, your neighbour or uh, your friends and all children uh, are welcome, whether they're members here or not, and uh, as is everyone. So just kind of ask all the children that next week I'd like you to bring along your favourite storybook. Um, I'm interested in seeing what you love to read uh, when you're on your own. So. Next Sunday evening will be Life Lounge. It returns at half past seven with a, a very special guest, Mr. Brian Gartland. And uh, worship will be led by Waiting for Sophie. So we're looking forward to that starting up again. Uh, it, unfortunately, it will not be live streamed uh, next Sunday night. So if you want to hear Brian, you'll have to come along uh, to the service. The Arch Presbytery is holding a mission in Ireland evening on Sunday the 3rd of March at 7 p.m., and uh, this will be held in First Ards with the theme, Weak Made Strong. And everyone is welcome to come to this event. That's the 3rd of March in First Ards. Uh, we're keen to gauge uh, your interest in having a church weekend next year. That's 2025 in the springtime. Um, if you would be interested, please write your name on the list that's provided in the vestibule. Um, I would also like to thank all those who were approached to be elders uh, and for giving uh, it their prayerful consideration. Um, we have three people who have decided to take on uh, this task. Um, our thanks go to them, of course, also. Uh, Karen Cardy, Mary Morrison, and John Honeyford. So Karen Cardy, Mary Morrison, and John Honeyford, and you could support them in your prayers. At, at this time as well. Just going to ask Evelyn's going to come and speak uh, for a moment about the World Day of Prayer. Morning, everyone. Uh, you'll have seen this poster, I'm sure on the BPC update and on the Ballycrock and Facebook page and outside as well. <clears throat> it's the poster for the World Day of Prayer 2024. Every year on the first Friday in March is the World Day of Prayer. And the organization is such that right from dawn in Australia to the West Coast in the evening, the same order of service, the same service from in this case, Palestine, will be followed. And you're all invited to follow it here. Um, the theme this year is, I beg you, bear with one another in love. And <clears throat> it's been prepared this year by Christian women of Palestine. Uh, every year, a different country prepares the service. They know five years in advance. So when the people of Palestine began to prepare this service, things were very different to the conditions today. It's, as we always say, it's not a coincidence, but a God incidence that uh, this year we are praying for the Christians in Palestine. Uh, the Christians in Palestine are small in number. When they began to prepare for the service, they reckoned it was about uh, 100,000. Now it's about half that. And many of them, as you know, have, <clears throat> have suffered bombing, they've had to flee, and things are very, very tough for them. So it's very meaningful that this year, the service is prepared by the Christians of Palestine. Our local service, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Our local service uh, will be in Grimsport because we're linked with Ballyhome and Grimsport uh, in preparation for the service. And it will be in Grimsport Parish Church, not this Friday, but the following Friday at seven in the evening. And it would be great to have a good turnout from Ballycrocken at the service. Uh, it's a one-hour service starting at seven o'clock. You'll all be very welcome, and people from our church will be taking part in the service. So just to give you advance notice, Friday the 1st of March, Groomsport Parish Church at 7pm, to pray for Palestine and for the whole world. Thank you. Thank you, Evelyn. I just want to start our service by reading from Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That, uh, that verse, is, I think, is a beautiful verse. It's a, it's a, a place of complete surrender. The elders throw their crowns down. They're submitting to give the glory to the Lord. And there's nothing in this world that God is offering us today. What God has to offer today is beyond anything that the world has to offer. We've got his salvation. We've got his presence. Let's pray a moment. Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness to us. That, Lord, whenever we sin, Lord, you are patient with us. You are kind with us. And, Lord, that you forgive us. And, Lord, we pray, Father, that this morning that you would cleanse our hearts as we come. Lord, may we know the sense of your holiness, sense of your presence in our midst, the sense of your loving kindness. Lord, your care for everyone and for especially those who are going through difficult times, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us and that you are with them. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that you might lead us in worship, that we might be here to glorify and delight your heart, to honor you in every way we can in our worship and in our prayers. And in, uh, may you speak to us, Lord. Uh, may you speak words of comfort, words of challenge, Lord, to us, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to stand, we're going to worship God with all I once held dear. All I once held dear.
Linda to come and she's going to read for us Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 7. In the year I saw the Lord exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Amen. Thank you, Linda. And now, Ben. Morning, boys and girls. Do you want to come join me down here? Ah, good to see so many of you this morning. And we have a special guest, I see. Look at this. Beautiful. Where's your toy this morning? I should have brought mine too. Yes, good morning. So I have some pictures with me, and your job is to tell me what do these pictures have in common. So who are these, first of all, for anyone who can't see? George and Peppa Pig. Yeah, what do these two have in common? Yeah? They're brothers and sisters. They're related to one another. Yes, well done. Okay, here is another two. Who are these? Yes, and Luke Skywalker, I hope you've enjoyed Star Wars. What do these two have in common? Yes, father and son, so they're related. Yes, they're related. Okay, this time I have a live picture for you. Uh, John and Terry, could you come up here, please? So see these two lovely smiling faces. What do these two have in common? Anyone know? Let me guess, they're related. That is a correct guess. They are father and son. Okay, you can sit down. And finally, could I please bring up Brian and Karen? Come here. What do these two have in common? No, there's no relation. Distant cousins, maybe, no. So, so what is it? Friends? I hope so. <laughs> no, you can sit down, you can sit down. So you're, you're left wondering, surely with what I've said they should be related. Well, you see, the thing is, you could say they are. You see, they're not brother and sister, they're not cousins, 
but they're related by something much deeper. See, the Bible has many ways to describe the church. One way Marcus told you about, the church is a... We're getting to that, but Marcus told you the church is a... What am I pointing at? Body. Yes, the church is a body, many parts working together. And the church also, you said, is is a family. The Bible talks about us being brothers and sisters. See, we don't have the same parents, but we all have the same Jesus. And we're not related by blood, but by Jesus' blood. Because even though we're all different, we have one thing in common if we believe in Jesus, and that's that Jesus died for us. Who here fights with their family? Do you fight? Yeah? Pretty much every hand should be up. We all fight, don't we? Sometimes mom and dad annoy us. Sometimes maybe our brothers and sisters get on our nerves. But as a family, we love each other. And you know, it's sad to say, but it's the same with the church. We're a family, but we fight sometimes. We sometimes get annoyed or disagree. But God wants us as a family to be together and to serve him together. So just remember that the church is a family and that we are brothers and sisters in Jesus. So that's all I have to say this morning. Let me just pray really quick and then we're going to sing a song. So let's pray to God. Dear Father God, thank you that through Jesus, even though we're all different, we're all uh, coming from different places, that you bring us together as a family. And that together, even though we fight, we can come together and worship you together. And so I pray we'd remember that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to sing now, I believe. So let's, uh, let's stand up and sing. Collective during the week uh, in, in Elam. So we're going to do their version of uh, You Are My Vision. Okay, You Are My Vision.
Hey, right, boys and girls, listen. Are you just going to bring your favourite storybook next week? Yes, because yes, I want to see what your favourite story is, okay? But, and bring your friends, bring your neighbours, bring your schoolmates. Okay, listen, you can go out to Sunday Club now, or Bible class, and uh, also, for anyone, there's a crash also out to my left in the quiet room. You don't have to go there, but if you would like to go there, there'll be someone out there to look after you, okay? Do you not want to go? It looks like you don't want to go. You don't want to leave me? You don't want to leave me? Okay, we'll have fun next week, okay? See you next week. Okay, and the offering will be received. Thank you. Father, we thank you for what you give to us each day. Lord, there are innumerable blessings that you give to us that we so much take for granted. We just want to worship you and thank you this morning for everything you've done for us and for what you give us, and especially for giving us your Son. Lord, we thank you that you are here this morning, and we want you to feel welcome this morning in this place. We want you to feel free to move from heart to heart and seek to seek this morning. And we want to offer these tithes and offerings to you as um, at a token, Lord, that our hearts belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only Son, Jesus, to die for us and rise to life eternal. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that we are sinners and that we rely on Jesus for our salvation and for eternal life. We confess we have fallen short of our calling in Christ and have wandered from our first love. Please forgive us in Jesus' name. It is in his name alone we come boldly to ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit. Revive our hearts, we pray. Renew our spirits. Restore our joy. Refresh our zeal to love and serve the world you came to save. We ask these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. John 12, verses 20 to 21. We're told now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. I think that's amazing. You know, to live back in those days where you could be walking around, you go, I need to see Jesus, where is he? He's on the Mount of Olives, okay, I'll go and see him. And you go up and you're able to stand chatting to Jesus 
on the Mount of Olives face to face. You know, but some of the folk back then, they never even recognized they were blind, spiritually blind, didn't recognize who he was. Uh, and today it's the same. Although we can't see him physically, there's that spiritual blindness among folk that, that they don't recognize he is the Son of God and who he is and what he came to do. And uh, our next uh, hymn or our song it is simply, it's a prayer request. Um, open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. We'll sing it through. Well, let's sing it through three times. It's only one verse, I think, but open my eyes, Lord. This is our prayer request. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus in people's lives. We want to see Jesus in this place. We want to see Jesus walking the streets in our community. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Let's stand. chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, as we continue on with our series on Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 47. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is the word of God. I'm going to watch a, a short video now that's it's called This is Discipleship. Just very short before we go into the word of God.
Got a few wee PowerPoints, Chris, there. Have you able to get my slides up? That's great. The book of Acts has a lot to teach us, a lot to teach us about the church, what it looked back like back then. Um, after Peter's challenging sermon on the day of Pentecost, they're no longer just a small number of believers to cater for, but we're told in verse 40 about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Well, can you imagine the disciples, you know, Peter, what do we do now? What do we do? Do we panic? Do we panic? There had been 120 disciples in the upper room, and now suddenly there's 3,000, 3,000 more responsibilities uh, for the apostles. You know, the, 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 the Spirit of God had come into the room, the flames had come and landed and danced over each, each disciple or each apostle. Then spontaneously they rushed out into the street and they started to speak the gospel and the wonderful things of God. And people heard it in their own language. They were speaking in languages they'd never spoken in before. Uh, and we're told that 3,000 new disciples people came to faith in Christ and, and just as well Jerusalem had many pools because for that day they were queuing up 3,000 people waiting to be baptized. Uh, you could say it was quite a day, quite an eventful day. I wonder, do we realize what sort of an impact that must have had on the apostles? Imagine if our church here grew suddenly overnight by 3,000 people. You know, we'd have six services on a Sunday. You know, in other words, you'd, you'd, the building, the church building would be filled to capacity six times over. And uh, don't forget that at the end of this passage, we're told the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there were 3,000, and then every day there were more and more and more and more. And something had to be put in place very, very quickly. I think in these few verses we get to see that we're looking at this morning, we get to see um, what takes priority in the apostles' to-do list for this newly formed church in Jerusalem. What was at the top of their list as a church? Um, first priority, teaching. They developed, or they devoted themselves, we're told, to the apostles' teaching, verse 42. You know, in the Greek, it's the continuous tense that's used. So it literally says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They had this single-minded devotion to grow in their faith more and more by studying and by listening to these apostles. And they learned from those who had been with Christ. Apostles are simply messengers who have been and experienced Christ, and they listened to them. And they were so hungry. Those 12 apostles, they must have fallen into bed exhausted every night, thinking about this. They must have been exhausted every night. 12 men to cover 3,000 new converts to Christ. Well, what do they teach them? Well, what do they teach them? Well, <laughs> the epistles? Do they teach them the epistles? Well, Paul's epistles hadn't been written yet. Do they take them, take, take them to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of the life of Jesus hadn't been written yet. So what do they teach them? Uh, most likely they're looking at the Old Testament, looking at how Jesus fulfilled so much of the Old Testament, probably taught him what taught them what Jesus had shared, the parables, the Sermon on the Mount, things that he had taught, spoke to them about on the, in a, at the Last Supper, those sorts of things. And these, these new Christians, they were hungry, hungry, ravenous for more of God, ravenous to find out more about Jesus. They couldn't get enough of it. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and having a hunger for the Word of God, they tend to go together. Because the Holy Spirit, he brings the Scriptures alive to us. He brings it alive to us. He brings a freshness to it. The Word of God is God communicating to us. We are so privileged to have that. So privileged. There are many countries where you'd be killed, executed, if you were caught in possession of the Word of God. But we have this Word of God, God communicating to us. 
and the Spirit of God can apply it to our hearts. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it live within you, teaching you, admonishing all of you in all wisdom. I can't stress enough the importance of reading the Word of God. Meditating on it, marking it, highlighting it, making notes on it. Today we live in a non-reading culture and we're told that people's concentration isn't as good because they only have to concentrate for short periods because they're reading off Google or off the internet, just short passages. But we need to read the Word of God and allow it to dwell in us and motivate us. And the Holy Spirit has put this passage in the Bible for some reason. God, please show me. Make it come alive to me. Help me to apply it in my life. You know, Paul writes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Peter writes, like newborn infants, long for pure milk that you may grow up into salvation. You know, a church that is word of God centered marks of a healthy church. And it was certainly an essential part of the New Testament church. But second priority then that they, they put down is they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship. Now the Greek word, I'm sure you've heard that Greek word before, kononia. Uh, this is the first occurrence of it in the New Testament in Acts. And the root idea is commonness. The original meaning of the word, it refers to a close relationship as that which is shared between two conjoined twins. We'd call them Sammy's twins today, where they're joined together, sometimes at the chest, sometimes at the abdomen, sometimes at the spine, but they're connected together, and there is a commonness, a commonality. They share the same bloodstream, the same life force. On occasions, they share the same heart. And... Uh, <clears throat> Koinonia has that idea of sharing with someone. Sharing with someone what they're experiencing, what they're going through. Doesn't Paul write, um, when he speaks to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, he says, If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part is honored or every part rejoices with it. The term fellowship here, it goes much deeper than having a cup of tea after the service, nice as that is. If one part of the body, is, he's saying, is feeling pain, we all feel it because we're knit together like Sammy's twins. When we receive Christ, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. The Spirit of God in each of us knits us together as one body. So when one person feels the pain, we all feel it. Or when one person is feeling joy because uh, something marvelous has happened to them, then we all celebrate that with them. It's sharing with them. And the term canonia in this particular verse, the, the emphasis here is to do with contributing or giving. The foundation of the early Christian church was giving. And verses 44 to 45 makes this clear. He says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Of course, early believers did not sell everything. We read that they still had their homes. They met in homes. Um, but the point is that, that the fellowship of the early church rested on mutual generosity and sharing. Fellowship was not just something which was sentimental, a sentimental feeling of oneness and unity. It cost something. It was to do with giving generosity to one another. And that fellowship, the more we give, the more we sense that fellowship. Sometimes financially, 
but always through giving of ourselves to others, giving something of ourselves to one another. John, in his first letter, writes that we um, that which that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And he goes on to say, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, the more we connect and have canonia, fellowship, close, intimate connection with God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we will connect with others in the congregation, in our fellowship. Um, but thirdly, the third priority then is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Third priority is worship. Again, it's the continuous tense. So they continually devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer, to worship, to worship. You know, they kept the death of Christ constantly before them, always before them, always reminding themselves of what he had done for them. They became a worshipping people. The type of, do you remember the Jesus with the woman at the well? And he was having a conversation with her. And he said to the woman, because they were discussing, is it more important to worship in Jerusalem or, or where you worship up on the hills there? And, and Jesus said, there's a time that's coming and has now come when the true worshipers, they'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth with their whole hearts. For they are the kind of worship the Father worshippers the Father seeks. You know, when we meet here on a Sunday morning, above everything else, above everything, we come to worship God, to honor Him. We come to delight Him with our worship. You know, when I come here on a Sunday morning, I can only give to God the content of my heart. And if I've spent the week without him, if I've spent the week not spending time with him, all that I have to give him then on a Sunday morning are words. The words of a song minus my heart. You know, Sunday morning worship should be a volcanic-like overflow of what I've been building up to all week in my time alone with God. And Sunday morning services, they're about worship. They're about worshiping God. I have a heart for evangelism, and I have to rein that in a wee bit on a Sunday morning. Um, I want to see people give their lives to my Savior, Jesus Christ. There's nothing more I want. Um, but I need to remind myself that Sunday morning services are not services to reach the lost. Yes, I hope that people come who aren't believers and they come and they hear the gospel and they give their lives to Christ and want nothing more. But I need to remind myself that Sunday morning service, the purpose of a Sunday morning service is, number one, Him. God thanking him and worshiping him with all my heart, not blasé, but from the heart. And two, it's about you. Sunday morning is about you as well. That as his sheep, you, make, you receive the teaching that you need to inspire you and help you follow Christ. You know, this, this is known as a sheep-centered ecclesiology. It's fancy, but basically, ecclesiology means theology of the church. Um, as the disciples did it, we are to have a sheep-centered ecclesiology. S simply put, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's your good shepherd, and you're his sheep. Now, there's many sheep in this congregation. Some sheep are... Um, older, some sheep are younger, some sheep are fatter, some sheep are thinner, some sheep have lots of hair and some sheep have no hair at all. <laughs> but we are, we belong to Christ. We are his. And it's important as elders 
We are to be co-shepherds of Christ, who is the Good Shepherd. And we are, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're to present you with an opportunity every Sunday morning to worship him, to allow you to give your thanks to him. And we try to do that as best we can. Priority number four, uh, meeting places. You know, they had to really quickly, there's your 3,000 people here, and people coming to faith in Christ every day. They've got to try and decide, we're, what are we going to do? We're, we've got to meet somewhere. Where do we meet together? And we're told every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Uh, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Luke tells us that they met every day in the temple courts, which was a massively large area where they could meet, but it's just so natural for them because Jesus talked about the temple being his father's house. So it's just a natural place for the corporate worship for everyone to come to. Um, but we're told also that they had small group meetings as well. We're told that they broke bread together and prayed together, remembered the Lord's death together, enjoyed a meal together in small groups. You know, in the book of Romans, we see Paul write to the whole church in Rome, to the whole corporate body in Rome. And there. But in Romans 16, we, find, we can identify at least five small groups within that corporate body. And... Um, in Romans 16, verse 5, he writes, Greet also the church that meets at their house. So he identifies Priscilla and Aquila, and he says, Give my special greeting to the group that meet in their home. So I think looking at the small groups of believers in Acts and looking at them in Romans, I think it's safe enough to assume that the pattern of church life back then was that they met corporately, in a large group to worship together, but also in small groups in people's homes. This was a normal pattern within the New Testament church. And it's important to recognize that it's a vital pattern for effective church life and ministry. You know, we need time to meet together like we are this morning in a large group, and there are things we can do in a large group that we can't do as well in a small group. You know, we can sing corporate worship. We can enjoy the worship together. We can enjoy the fellowship together. Um, but there are things in a small group that are very difficult to, to do in a large group. Um, a small group where you get to be free to know people. You get free to, to grow together in your faith, to study the Word of God to actually talk about it, to participate. Because God can speak to you as much as he can to anyone else in the group. So there's that chance to share. Also, there's that natural pastoral care which can come in a small group that you wouldn't get in a large group where, where you could, somebody can be praying for you regularly, supporting you, asking you how you are, praying together. And there's that sense of accountability within a small group that you can't find in a large group. So small groups are important. And, um, and it's also a, a place, actually, for inviting new people. I know of a church where each home group has what is called the empty chair. And it's always kept empty for someone to feel they can bring someone along, whether they be Christian or not, they can bring them along to the home group. And may I encourage you to be actively involved in a home group um, or in Barry's Men's Bible Study, which means meets on a Thursday night. Home groups are they're about exercising ministry to one another, caring for one another, listening to one another, praying for one another, which I believe is the purpose of the church. And it's something that can't be done in a big corporate area like this, as well as it can in the home groups. But finally, um, finally, evangelism. We're told that was their fifth priority, evangelism. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. As I've said, 
Sunday mornings are not primarily for evangelism, but I hope people hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and, and give their life to the Lord Jesus. And, uh, but Sunday morning is primarily to uplift him, to take time to thank God for what he's done in our past week, to give thanks for what he's doing and what he's going to do. It's time to just enjoy God. Enjoy who he is, his loving kindness, his care, his grace, his forgiveness. To allow your soul to catch up with the busyness of your legs running all over the place during the week. But it's also for building you up and it's for preparing you to be a witness wherever you go, wherever God has placed you, whether in your workplace or with your neighbours or with your friends. It's preparing you to be a witness. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, So Christ himself gave the apostles, gave the prophets, gave the evangelists, gave the pastors and teachers to the church. What for, though? What, to go and run and do it all themselves? Of course not. He goes on to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Each believer is sent out. Each believer, hopefully, is filled on a Sunday morning, encouraged on a Sunday morning, challenged on a Sunday morning, connected with God on a Sunday morning, and goes out full of the Holy Spirit, ready to be that witness wherever they are, um, sent out to be a light in a dark place, sent out to be salt in the wounds of many hurting people. So how quickly these apostles, with the help of the Holy Spirit, had to put this Jerusalem church together, their top priorities, teaching, fellowship, worship, meeting places where they're going to meet, and evangelism. And my prayer is that we follow the example of this New Testament church, glorifying God at every step of the way, and wait with prayerful expectation for him to pour his Spirit out upon us and upon this community. Let's pray. Father, Father, I recognize that there's not one thing spiritual that I can do without you. Everything to do with spirituality, everything to do with coming, people coming to faith in Christ in reaching this community, it's down to you, God. And Lord, as we honor you in our lives and in our hearts and in this place, I know that your spirit will be poured out amongst us and therefore out through the doors and into the community. Lord, I pray, help us never to lose that art of worship. Never, just never let us lose that desire to just honor you and delight you, give you your place. Lord, give us a heart for worship. Give us a heart for your word. Make us hungry for it. Lord, and may we be united together in koinonia fellowship, feeling the pain that someone else feels and feeling the joy that someone else feels. Lord, make us one in Christ. We ask these things in the name of the, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand, and this is from a psalm, you'll recognize it as the dear pants. This is my longing that I'm not there yet, but my longing is that just as a deer in the desert, thirsty, would pant for water, that my soul will pant for God. That's our prayer this morning. Let's stand and worship God. Yeah.
of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinonia fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.